Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Modern Retail Podcast. I'm Kale Guthrie Weissman, the editor in chief of Modern Retail. And this week we have Andrea Shu, the co founder and CEO of Umami Cart. Umami Cart is a really fascinating online startup that I've been seeing a lot in my Instagram feed, which is one of the reasons I wanted <laughs> you to join is to sort of talk about, you know, obviously customer acquisition, but also just starting a food-based online marketing place and how that's gaining traction, because I feel like there are a lot more marketplaces like yours out there. But we'll get all into that. Andrea, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much. Absolutely. So for those who don't know, want to just give a, a little history of how Umami Cart started? Yeah, for sure. So I think to tell you about how Umami Cart started, I have to tell you a little bit about my background. People are oftentimes surprised, uh, but my parents are Chinese, um, but I grew up in Spain. So my parents immigrated to Spain in their early 20s um, as immigrants. They started restaurant businesses and really all kinds of retail businesses. And as the child of an immigrant family, immigrants building businesses, I was always involved in their, in their businesses, working alongside them. So that kind of inspired a lot of what I wanted to do with my career. Um, and when I came to the U.S., everything sort of clicked. Um, I was used to growing up in Spain with not a ton of Asian references around me, always the only Asian person in the room. Food was so difficult to get for us. It was always a two-hour trip uh, for us to find the things that we needed. And food was also so important for my parents to share their culture with us. Um, I came to the U.S. for college and I went to NYU, which is at the heart of New York City. And I was like, wow, like the amount of food that I have access here, like the amount of cultures that I can interact with, it was just mind blowing. Um, and it was really shocking to see that even so, it was still really hard for me and my Asian American friends to access the foods that we wanted through the online experiences that we wanted and and whatnot. So everything kind of came full circle. And after my stint in VC, I decided to to you know take a leap of faith and build Umami Cart. Amazing. And so for exactly how does Umami Cart work? And like what was sort of I guess the MVP you had when you were first launching? Yeah. So when I looked at the way that our customers were, were shopping or the potential customers I wanted to engage with were shopping, I realized that for many Asian American consumers that are purchasing Asian groceries, they're really planning this out and they're planning it over the weekend and they're going as far as to like rent a car to go to New Jersey to buy these foods or it's a very much planned purchase because it's just not accessible in every neighborhood. So if you're lucky enough that you're near an awesome Chinatown, like that's super great, but not everybody has that. Um, and then I was asking these people, how are you buying the rest of your stuff in your day to day? And it was through all these awesome retail experiences that are online, um, super fun to engage with. And, and there was definitely a gap there. So that's kind of what I wanted to build with Umami Cart. Um, and because of that, the way Umami Car works is you come to our site and we have a curated catalog, not like 10,000 products that you can decipher, but rather we have a curated amount of products that are really the best tried and true ones. Um, and then also some really awesome brands that we want you to discover. And you can either shop with, with something that you have in mind, um, which we have merchandise in a way that's easy to navigate, similar to your in-person experience, but you can also just get inspired through our recipe kits. Um, and if you're deciding to host for hot pot, just buy an entire kit. And we see our customers really love, um, those two parts of it. I want, I want to get into sort of how you go about curating that. Um, but 
first, well, hey, you, you said you came from VC. What was what were you doing in VC? And sort of were you did you know while you after you graduated that you were ultimately going to start something like Umami Car, or was it something that like you became jaded with the VC life <laughs> and then you <laughs> you needed to, to, to go out on your own? Yeah, it was it was. Um, so I actually after graduating from college worked um, at an investment bank. I worked at Goldman Sachs uh, doing trading, principal funding, and investments, and all this really like intellectually stimulating stuff. Uh, but I was missing the passion side of it. And I, I always wanted to start something like that's what I grew up with. I knew I wanted to do it, but I hadn't found something that really I knew I was passionate about and I would be passionate about for the long run, which was very clear to me that you needed having seen how the raw side of entrepreneurship and not just kind of like the glamorous VC side of entrepreneurship. Cause I grew up kind of working in retail. Um, but you know, I went to business school. I wanted to take the time to upskill myself and learn about different industries. And then I joined this VC firm to be an entrepreneur in residence, which means, um, a role where you're like thinking through different business models and, and, and thinking about industries that you want to, that you want to build. My role specifically was to, or for this VC specifically, it was to build a marketplace that was connecting two sides, but in a very asset light way, sort of like an Airbnb style of model and whatnot. And so I did look into many different types of businesses and many industries, but I was missing again, the passion part. And I was like, you know what, like I need to kind of follow what I truly care about and really think deep about what are topics that I care about, not just seeing the business opportunity, but I personally, as Andrea like feel passionate about that it's a true pain point for people that I care about for communities that I care about, um, and so that's kind of how I started digging into this, and then got the VC on board to funding this business model, which was a little bit different to what they initially had in mind. How did you go about deciding which products you initially wanted to have? The world of like you know Asian food, there's perishable, there's non-perishable. I can think of a million million different ones. Like so, what did what did you have like a list of sort of the must haves that you know every household is looking for? Like and to this day, like do you have like is there a, a fresh veggie assortment or like how are you mm-hmm. approaching all of that? Yeah, so curation was something that I cared a ton about from the beginning because we did over a hundred of customer interviews with potential customers. And where we saw the pain point was that the customer we're serving is, is, is a modern customer that purchases online a lot. Um, also the way they consume food is not the same way that my parents would consume it. So my parents might only cook with Chinese products, but these customers were engaging with many different types of Asian cuisines. They were mix and matching. They were using Asian sauces on traditional non-Asian recipes, like Italian recipes or other kinds of recipes. And I think there's awesome founders, Asian American founders that have done a really good job of, of kind of like pushing this uh, thing that people were already doing, but putting it in the forefront of like, you can put chili oil in pizza, or you can even put in ice cream and things like that. And that was super exciting to me. So it was very clear from the start that we needed to not just focus on one cuisine, but rather on several cuisines um, at the same time. But it was also really challenging because each one of these is so extensive. Each Asian cuisine is so, so extensive. So we decided we would start with East Asian cuisines, so Korean, Japanese, Chinese. And from these, we wanted to work with food creators, um, chefs, um, other food creators that are Asian American to really understand which ones, which products are really the tried and true staples that you must have. Sort of like a one-on-one pantry. If you want to cook many of the recipes that are important to this cuisine, what do you need? And we started there. 
Once we were done with that, we also had a lot of insights from our customers that this customer wants to be able to access the traditional products, but also get some products where they can be pickier about the ingredients, like whether it's organic or not, whether it's small batch. Um, they cared about the founding stories of the products that, that they were purchasing for everything else, but they hadn't been able to do that for Asian products, Asian grocery products. Um, and so then we went out and talked to tons of different brands that were up and coming and, and curated a selection there. Um, then to your question on fresh or non-fresh, um, it was important from the start to carry fresh products because that was a barrier for people to be able to cook. Um, and, and so we decided to, to go ahead and source veggies, uh, meats and seafood, but from a more premium standpoint or from, um, giving people access to organic food standpoint as well. So we have a lot of organic vegetables, um, like high quality sashimi fish, um, and things like that. How many SKUs did you launch with? We launched with about 400 SKUs. Um, and to date we're over a thousand. And when you launched last year, is that correct? Or when did you launch? Yeah, we launched actually just a year ago, March 1st. Wow. Happy birthday. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, and so like with that launch plan, were you only available in certain locations sort of, and how did you go? Like, I'm fascinated with talking with, uh, entrepreneurs in the food space about how you go about sourcing specifically if like it's your, your first foray, was this just more arbitrage? Like we'll find the pride <laughs> however we can get them to people or like, how did you go about sort of forging relationships with people? Yeah, no, that's a really great question. Um, I think one of the things that we we solve that is maybe not so visible from the storefront is that the suppliers that we work with are mostly immigrant-led, typically family-owned, um, small and medium enterprises. So they're not necessarily, like there, people ask me a lot, why can't I buy this at Whole Foods? I'm like, well, Whole Foods is not working with the number of suppliers that we're working. Um, they're working with, with you know, a couple of the large ones or something like that. Um, and for us, we currently work with over a hundred suppliers for the thousands of SKUs that we have. Um, and that is very atypical. Um, and the way we do that is by doing a ton of research and building a lot of these relationships that are much more personal than than if you were to do that with a bigger sort of like more mainstream supplier. So uh, my co-founder, Wendy, she came from a lot of stuff that she did in the food space. Um, and so she had relationships with some suppliers. We also just sort of went ahead and really dug deep into the landscape to understand who the players were, um, understand their catalog, understand what they cared about the most and what their pain points were, um, and started there. And I think in the beginning, it took a lot of convincing for some of these suppliers to add us to their route or go out of their way and engage with this company they'd never heard about before. Um, but I think through explaining why we're building Umami Card and our intention to reach a new audience um, and to be able to grow the amount of people that can access Asian foods, um, that resonated with them. And 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 all of them signed on. Honestly, we, we never had an issue um, with support from, from the suppliers. Wow. And so how many locations did you launch in at the beginning? Uh, we launched initially for New York City um, alone. And we currently serve over 11 states. Can you talk a little about, like, when I go to, say, uh, like, an Asian grocery store, are most of the SKUs there, like, I, the way that I've always thought about it is that those are probably conglomerates just in Asia that I wasn't aware of. Are, or are you s- sort of offering the kinds of choices that would be there, or are they not usually there because you're working with smaller suppliers? Mm, it's a little bit of both. So for, I think for your tried and true staples, 
you can certainly find them in the grocery stores that you can shop at in Chinatown. Um, and they have such an extensive like list of products. Um, for some of the newer brands that are, that are small batch or just up and coming, um, I think those are really unique to Umami Cart because we're so plugged into the Asian American founding network at the, um, with Umami Cart that we're hearing about these products while they're in production phase. Um, and that's just super amazing to, to see kind of products that well from the beginning all the way until they go to shelves. And so we see that a lot of customers come to us to discover these new brands before they're, they're, they're bigger and they're findable elsewhere. Um, and then we also work with some fresh food providers, like our fish providers, for example. We work with a couple of the best fish suppliers that work with um, restaurants like sushi restaurants, Michelin star restaurants and things like that for their sashimi needs. Um, and so that I think would be a little bit more challenging to find in your typical um, Asian grocery store. Um, and those are those are some of the things that, p- that people really love. Wait, so let me get, you, it's almost a B2B play, like you're working with restaurants and get, getting them fish for, for their restaurants? No, so we work with the same suppliers that would supply okay, okay. fish to those restaurants. I got it, okay, restaurants. got it, that yeah. makes sense. Sorry, I, I would have been super, that would have been super interesting, yeah. but... Um, uh- one more thing, actually, we also work with some retail stores in Chinatown, for example, that have been doing the same sort of like have really picked a niche and provide that product uh, for over generations. So, for example, we work with 46 Mott, which is a bakery in Chinatown that does um, rice triangles um, along with other baked goods. And then we work with Grand Tea Imports. Um, the focus is solely on tea um, and we're able to help them reach people outside of the state. So not just foot traffic, but but also elsewhere. That's super cool. Are you warehousing this or sort of how, what is, how does it work with the brands that you work where you tell them they have an order and they send it out. What's the the relationship there? Yeah, we do warehouse it. Uh, we warehouse it. We have a team that picks and packs it. Um, and that way we can really ensure that things are packed um, appropriately for, for the delivery. And also we're not shipping a box with just one item, but rather, you know, your whole grocery haul comes together. Cool. And how do you, how did you figure out as you expanded beyond New York City to deal with air, uh, warehousing of fresh food? Because that's something I'm always, I feel like that, you know, every grocery startup has to figure that out. But I imagine it's more difficult as, or I'm sure it's more difficult as you expand to new regions and they have to go farther out. Yeah, it's definitely challenging. Um, I think it's really important to like work with suppliers that can ensure quality. Um, we have done a lot of research and, and talked to so many suppliers and explore relationship with so many suppliers. And I think it's really important to make that more long-term decision of quality over price. Um, because, you know, at the end of the day for groceries, like I think having convenience, um, and access is very important, but the underlying quality when you're going to cook that food, like that's ultimately what the customers are going to care about and what's going to bring them back. So for us, that's kind of our, our gateway. It's like, we know if we work with suppliers that are taking care of their products, um, then we know that everything else sort of follows, like storage will be easier, like checking and quality control of the products will be easier. But if you don't get that first step right, there's just nothing you can really do to like outdo that mistake. Um, so we put a lot of emphasis on that um, and have been able to work with a lot of more innovative Asian um, Asian vegetable suppliers that are growing like vertical grown, vertically grown bok choy, for example, like pesticide free bok choy, like pre-washed and pre-cut and things like that, that I think customers have been waiting on for a long time and just didn't have access to before. 
We'll be right back after this message from our sponsor. Please stay with us. Can you talk a little about the, the you said that you launched, you know, in tandem with creators, they, they sort of help and also food, food people who know and love the ingredients. So sort of, can you talk about how you approached all that when you were talking, when you were reaching out, who were the types of, you know, people that you wanted to work with? What types of questions were you asking? And like, sort of how did you build, build the sort of buzz of, of the business y- using them? Yeah. So I found like the Asian American creator community and founder community to be extremely supportive. And I was just literally cold reaching out to people, DMing people and asking if they'd be willing to chat and give me advice and feedback. Um, and even some of our best connections came through the customer research that we did. So, you know, I would just sort of ask friends like, hey, I'm starting this concept. It's called Umami Cart. Um, I barely, probably I didn't even have a name when I first started talking to people. And I was like, it's an online Asian grocery concept. I want to get as much feedback as I want. Um, and people would ask me, okay, send me a survey. They would send it into their group chats. And that way we built sort of like our initial list of hundreds of people that we could talk to. And as I talked to these people, these people were like, well, I'm a writer at whichever publication. Like I actually have three friends that would probably be really good resources for you. And we sort of just pulled that thread and it was very organic. Um, there were probably like a few people that we knew in the industry that we really wanted to talk to. Um, and we, we probably like focused a lot on them. But at the end of the day, it was like the amount of conversations that we had with people that were friends of friends that, that was the most impactful. Um, and we would just ask them, depending on whether they're creators, like where do they get their foods? Uh, what foods are like must haves? What ingredients are the hardest for them to find? What are their biggest complaints about fresh foods um, that are a little bit trickier to source and things like that? Who were the must haves? Mm, I don't know if I can give that away. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'll just think a about really, it. really. Big... <laughs> All right. All right. I'll, I'll, I'll touch back later. Um, so talk to me about growth. You, so you, you launched, you had a few hundred SKUs. Now it's expanded a lot. How have the, how has the last 12 months been? And also how have you ramped up marketing? Cause I know, as I mentioned in the, the sign on, like I see you on, on Instagram. So I assume that you're, you're on Instagram. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. The first 12 months have been really crazy. Um, we've grown the team a lot. We're now over, 14 people full-time plus like a ton of people working um, in our operations as well. So it's been really, really awesome to see customers uh, really love Umami Card and what we offer and the brand that we've built. Um, in terms of growth, yeah, the growth has been pretty steady from the start. We we launched like first month, just my co-founders and I not really expecting much. And suddenly we were like packing boxes ourselves. Like we couldn't get kind of like the, the meet the demand that we were having the first month. And that was like such a out of body experience, just like as a first time founder, that was like an incredible feeling. Um, and since then we've been growing double digits every single month. Um, and yeah, that's been, that's been awesome. I think a lot of our focus has been on building the right team and building the right culture, um, growing the right SKUs and continuing to stay close to that customer feedback that has been the key to getting us here. And we try to implement the same when we think about marketing. Um, so yeah, I, I can touch upon marketing as much as you want. Any, any specifics, any areas that you want me to go into more? 
do you focus mostly on paid marketing? Sort of what was the overall strategy? Do you find what, what are the channels that have worked traditionally with you the best over the last year? Mm, yeah. So initially when we launched for the first few months, it was it was mostly organic and we hadn't really explored too much paid. Um, and I think that was very awesome and important because those customers that we onboarded are still to this day the most you know powerful customers and and we continue to see like time and time again your organic customers are just super engaged they found you through a friend or they found you like at a dinner table while they were tasting your products um, and that stays with them much more than a Facebook ad but of course that being said as we scale the business it's important to invest in our paid channels so you know we do I think we run the gamut we do all the all the, the the typical suspects, Facebook, Google, um, and we explore uh, lots of other channels like we're launching Pinterest and TikTok and and all of that. Um, we continue to try to focus a lot on our earned and our content marketing um, because that adds value to the customer beyond just annoyance because <laughs> we all we all hate the the Instagram sponsored content. Um, but yeah, we think a lot about what is the content that people are really liking. For us, it's information about the products, um, information and discovery about new brands that are coming on, recipes um, and helpful tips on how to use products and things like that. So we try to focus heavily on building that content to continue to bring organic customers to our sites. I have a question that I've always wanted to ask someone about earned media and food. And so correct me if I'm wrong, but you were featured or you have an article at least in Good Morning America and the Today Show. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. And But you've also been written up in like food magazines like Bon Appetit or like other like similar, like between those two sort of the mainstream like TV things and the nicer food magazines, which has a higher impact in terms of earned media and, and like conversions or even page views or things like that? Yeah. What I found with press is that it just really depends on the actual content, which is really nice to see. So whether... Like, of course, if you compare a huge mainstream publication with like hundreds of millions of views um, versus a smaller publication, like you can't outdo that kind of volume. But when we're talking about the similar, like a similar ballpark, I've really found that what the content is really drives the engagement and customers are reading this and they're being critical and readers are reading these reviews and like hearing what the, what, what the editors have to say um, to make a decision. So you know, I think that's good to hear because as you know, like we would do interviews, but then it is ultimately a review that's honest and coming from someone. So their thoughts, um, people are choosing whether to believe them or not. And we found like when someone has raved about Umami Car and like really loved the experience, then we see like the highest conversion. Um, and when it's sort of like, just like, yeah, this is Umami Car, like you can check it out. Then, then, you know, consequently it's sort of like a similar type of Type of uh, reaction. Got it. That makes a lot of sense. Now that you've been around a year, do you have a general sort of sketch of who of who the customer is, or like the demographic, the age, where they live? Like, what would you say is like the the umami cart target? Yeah. Well, we've seen with umami cart is that like if you took kind of like the demographics of the U.S., like that's how diverse our customer base is, and that's really what we wanted. Um, what we wanted to build was not like an Asian grocery store that was only for people that already knew the products or like for a very specific customer that, that wanted to engage with Asian groceries just in one way. We had this thesis around Asian groceries, but an Asian food 
being so part of American culture and American way of cooking um, and being part of the mainstream already, like nobody thinks of sushi as a exotic food or like nobody has never heard of kimchi or things like that. And our thesis was the missing gap is that there isn't an experience um, that, that people can in, engage with in a familiar way, just the same way that they engage with with any other product they they buy. And so to see that our customer base is really diverse from people that grew up eating these foods to people that maybe have never cooked with Asian products before at home, but are trying it through Umami Cart, um, that's what we want to continue to to see. Um, in terms of age, though, it's definitely, you know, people after college um, that already are looking to cook, um, definitely foodies that are always looking for new recipes, like learning about ways of cooking and, and things like that. You said that you have meal kits, right? Mm-hmm. So what is the interplay between like your average customer and meal kits? Like, are, do you, do they often do them? Do they not? Like, what are you, are those good retention tools? What are you seeing in terms of the, the offerings that you have that are beyond just one or two products that they buy and then ship to their homes? Yeah, we see that people love the recipes that we put together because they, they like give you an easy window into making an awesome food, like a dish that you've always like never thought you could make at home or something like that. Um, and we try to make it simple where all the ingredients are there and we give you the recipe, et cetera. So we definitely see that a lot. Um, we see that people will go to these for gifts, even for gifting to other people, um, for hosting and things like that. And you see how their order kind of just becomes larger when they're looking to host and make something special. Um, but we also see it as like something that people save and it inspires them to then come back later and like shop for a bunch of things and also make that recipe. So yeah, I think most of our customers would probably tell you that they visit our recipes super frequently and, and look into them. Um, we also have customers that are just connoisseurs themselves that, you know, pick the, the typical suspects, like the most traditional foods and, and go from there. So I see a little bit of both. And then we also have customers that are obsessed with, snacks and like new drinks and things like that. And they're just probably not that into cooking and are like all about the snacks and like the prepare foods and things like that. So again, it's pretty diverse, but I think, I think everyone is um, always engaging with, with like seeing if they can cook something easily and things like that. Are you looking into ways to sort of bundle those non-cooking things? Like, are you going to do a snack pack or, or do you do a snack pack or are you are you thinking of ways to sort of make it so it's more of a repeatable thing for a lot of the customers? Yeah, definitely. We don't have a snack pack. Um, we do have kind of like people love our staff picks all the time. So customers are always writing, always writing in to ask us for for our like recommended products and things like that. Even the umami cars already curated, I think. I think people at this point, um, customers that have shopped from Umami Cart see us as um, like their help to curate and they trust the products that we're putting on shelves. And so a lot of like staff pick bags and things like that, or like staff staff pick curation bundles um, are things that we want to continue to explore. We actually have them on site this month because it's our birthday month. So for customers that are coming on site, um, they're getting some of the staff picks um, in their boxes and, and things like that. And we want to continue to do more of that because that's definitely what we're being asked for um, all the time. And it's awesome to see that that resonates. So what does growth look like this year on the product front? Like, are, are you expanding to new to new regions and, and countries? Or are you just trying to find more within 
you know, the East Asian niche that you've made? Sort of what, what are you seeing in that in that regard? Yeah. So a few months back, we started expanding into Southeast Asian cuisines. So now we have Thai, Filipino um, cuisines on, on our site. And the goal is definitely to expand more within both East Asian and Southeast Asian. Um, so we're probably going to at least double our catalog within the next few months. Um, and we're moving to like larger spaces and things like that in order to, to be able to do that. Um, yeah, that's, that's a huge part of it. And then geographically, we also plan to expand. Um, I'm not sure like exactly to which exact locations, but we're definitely going to be expanding, um, this year and with that growing the team, um, and yeah. How long do you think it'll take until you're nationwide? And do you think you would need to open up more facilities like on the West Coast? Sort of what does that plan look like? Yeah, we we would love to be in the West Coast. I think that's um, that's definitely in the horizon for me. I don't know the exact time frame, but I would say soon. Um, we we want to be we want to be nationwide um, as soon as we can. Uh, but we also are still a very young company. Um, you know, only a year old. So we're trying to balance that sort of like not compromise on the quality that we've been offering to our existing customers and continue to push the hardest on serving those customers really well because it's what's gotten us here. Um, and then also expand as quickly as we can. So it's kind of like that balance that's, that's hard to toggle, but, but yeah, keeping customer experience for existing customers like top of mind first and foremost. Makes sense. All right, Andrea, this has been such a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much for joining. Thank you so much. This has been so fun. And thank you for listening to this episode of the Modern Retail Podcast, a show by Digiday. If you haven't already, please do subscribe and head to Apple Podcasts to leave us a review and a rating. See you next week.